Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snack Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Hey, this is Power Card, aka Project Pat, and you're listening to the Baltimore Beatdown Podcast, the best Ravens podcast on the planet. That's pretty incredible. In fact, it's La Marvelous. Thank you guys. All right, welcome on back to another edition of the Baltimore Beatdown podcast. It is Wednesday, April 29th. My name is Jake Luke. I'm joined by Spencer Schultz. Uh, the NFL draft is over, and there's a lot of open road in front of us now. A lot of open road, getting into going back through and, and whatever games I have, all 22 of, looking at Ravens draft picks, and I was going through uh, Queen, and I've already gone through quite a bit ahead of the process, so I'm pretty familiar there. Went through some J.K. Dobbins stuff, and now I'm getting into Matabook, Matabooke, Matabooke, Matabooke. Matabooke. And uh, yeah, so gives us something to do for a little while. Hopefully there will be some sort of release, maybe baseball, NHL in June. Sounds like they're attempting to toy with that idea. So we'll see what ends up happening. Uh, the Orioles, Trey Mancini, colon cancer. We'll be getting chemo for a couple of months. So best wishes to him. Obviously a very difficult situation, but he's a strong kid and hopefully he's able to push through and get through that. I love Trey Mancini. So seems like a really good guy. I've, have a lot of friends that have been around him in bars and stuff in Baltimore and seems like a really fun, energetic, nice person. So I wish all the best for him and his family. Yeah, you really don't hear a bad word about him and everything that he says, like I'm almost like shocked at how much he seems to be committed to and loves the Orioles organization that really, quite frankly, hasn't, you know, been I wouldn't say it hasn't been great to him, but the results on the on the diamond have not been great for him uh, pretty much since coming into the league. What has he been around since 2015 ish? Um, but probably 2016. Yeah. 2016 is when he started to break out. So he sort of missed the successful buck era. You know, he was maybe a little bit a part of the uh, end of the buck era, which wasn't so pretty. And now he's sort of the face of this rebuild a little bit of all the players that they've uh, shipped off, traded, let go, whatever. He's been the the one guy that has stuck around. And I think, uh, especially now uh, with this diagnosis and everything, I think he is going to be a more symbolic face of the rebuild as well. Um, 
you know, and with the state of the world and everything, it's just very weird. But yeah, he wrote a letter for the Players Tribune, I think, discussing it. I mean, it got announced relatively recently, I think a couple weeks ago, but th- this is the first time that he has spoken on it. So uh, yeah, shout out to him big time, uh, very serious situation. Uh, but if anyone could get through it, uh, I think he would be the guy. Yeah, hopefully colon cancer is no joke and stage three is uh, pretty serious. So I know that he had a successful surgery and hopefully he's able to push through. So all the best wishes to him. Hopefully he's able to get back into top shape, although that seems like a difficult path, but I'm sure he can do it. So we will see. Hopefully we see some baseball in June. We got some Tiger and Phil maybe on the way, some UFC on the way. I mean, anything any sort of event where people can put money on is going to do well and be worthwhile and get millions of views at this point. So whatever it is, we're ready for it. Hopefully something coming down the pipeline soon. Uh, but yeah, without further ado, we're going to do mailbag this episode and then uh, just keep it kind of loose because we had some pretty intense episodes for a couple of days, but get into the mailbag. It was a long weekend. Let's just say it was that. a long, it was definitely a long weekend. We pumped out nine episodes, I believe uh, over a six day period, getting ready for the draft and then through the draft. <clears throat> and then obviously right after. So now that things have cooled down a little bit, we can cool it down ourselves with this episode, but we'll start out with the Instagram mailbag. Uh, obviously the news coming in, Marlon Humphrey, obviously, obviously, obviously gets his fifth year picked up by the Ravens. No surprise there. And the first question pertains to that. It is hi. I'm Sam Thrasher. I believe now that the Ravens have taken Marlon's fifth year option. When does he get a new deal? Um, I'd say so. He's go Marlon's going into year four, and I would say, I mean, in the next calendar, 365 days, I would imagine. Next calendar year, yeah, probably. I do wonder how much negotiations are going to be affected by coronavirus. I mean, it's pretty obvious that the two guys that they want to extend in Humphrey and Stanley they're going to be trying to do that, but I don't know how much the process of actually communicating with the agents, communicating the players, desires, whatever is affected by all that's going on right now. So I don't know if it's going to be any time recently, but they did just pick up the fifth year option. It's a tacit acknowledgement that they are going to want him around for the long term. Uh, And if they didn't, then they're insane. And hey, I don't think they're insane. So they're going to want to bring him back. Like you said, I think sometime within the next calendar year or so. Um, as he heads into that fifth year, typically you see a fifth year option picked up, I feel like. And then before they even get a chance to play it out, the contract is already agreed to and uh, everything's done. So I think before he enters that fifth year as a player is, uh, you know, it's going to get done. Same thing for Stanley, I think. Yeah, Stanley is going to end up maybe potentially playing on his fifth year a little bit. I would be surprised if they get more than like halfway into the season before Stanley's extended. Uh, Stanley, a little bit different situation. He's heading into his contract year amidst the CBA negotiations. Yeah, yeah. He's also a year ahead of Humphrey, too, which is an important point. Right. And, uh, you know, money money's coming off the books next year. So I think they're ready for Humphrey. They're ready for Stanley. Uh, they've treated both of those guys pretty well. Hopefully, they, you know, they get something done sooner rather than later with Stanley. Laramie Tunsil obviously set the market there for Stanley. So he's going to be in that department. And just better to get it done sooner rather than later, especially like in a yearly timeline, because, you know, go look at Dak Prescott, what the Cowboys could have paid him, you know, maybe 18 months ago versus what they're going to have to pay him now. And just better to set the market now and get it out of the way and end up getting it done, having someone else set the market again and just being ahead of it, in my opinion. But yeah, so I would would expect Marlon to stick around. Seems like he really loves the Ravens organization. They've treated him well. 
Um, they've been competitive. They've won two division titles back to back, gotten plenty of playing time, all the good stuff, no bad vibes out of either of their situations. So I'd expect they're a okay on that front. Moving on. A foot asks, since we didn't trade Gus or excuse me, since we obviously didn't trust Gus to run in the divisional round is Dobbins, the replacement. Um, I would call Dobbins more of Ingram's replacement. Because, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think he's going to be done after this year, and we've touched on that calf strain. You know, For all we know, Ingram's still not 100% off that calf strain. That's a pretty significant injury. Those can be varying, and maybe there's a little bit more than, than meets the eye as far as Ingram's situation. And, and how many times has Ingram been in the facility since the playoff loss? Right, exactly. So how can they really know? Exactly. And, uh, you know, Dobbins is, is going to make sure that they have a three down back and Edwards, as much as I love him, hasn't been necessarily a three down back. Um, Hill, you know, might be, might be a three down back. He, he flashed a lot last year and limited chances. Saw some tough running between the tackles. He has the receiving ability. Uh, he would get bullied in pass pro at Oklahoma state, but apparently there was some improvement there, but yeah, I think Dobbins is more of Ingram's replacement more so. And then that leads into some other questions. I'm going to skip through here and find them. And it's a pretty obvious question. Maybe it was on the maybe it was on Twitter, but whatever. We'll get to it later. Yeah, we got um, a couple we'll, Twitter questions too. So, yeah. Moving on, we got Aust Frick. Should I get a Queen jersey or a Dobbins jersey? My CJ jersey is collecting dust. For me, I'm going to go. I'm going to tell you to get Dobbins. Go get go get you a guy. You've had a linebacker jersey already. Go get you a guy. To score some touchdowns. It's fun that way. Yeah, I agree with that. I think uh, from the flash perspective, Dobbins is maybe the better pick. Um, but it's weird because they let Mosley walk eventually. Does that signal that they're going to let Queen walk? Uh, I wouldn't say that I'm certain that Dobbins is only going to be here while he's cheap, but I think it's a little bit more of a risk long-term-wise to go with him. I think uh, Queen is probably projects to be around here a little bit longer. So from the perspective of flash, panache, and fun, I'd go with Dobbins from the perspective of Long term, this guy is going to be on the team for another 10 years and be a, a team captain. I think I'd go with Queen, but it's up to you. There we go. And Maul Singh 12 asking, will the Ravens sign a veteran edge rusher? I don't see a world where Panomic Fee isn't back or maybe a Clay Matthews or uh, Marcus Golden still on the market or Everson Griffin. I definitely think they're going to look to add one more body to that room that has some veteran experience because you know, and maybe with maybe they don't. Maybe they take it all the way into the season, and we see the Ravens go trade for a, a disgruntled edge rusher situation or something like that. No, you know? no, I, I assure you that all of our edge rushers are extremely gruntled. Shout out to Michael Scott. Ah, uh, yes, okay, that one. All, went of, all of our employees are extremely gruntled. He's just a little stitious. Yeah, just a tad. But yeah, so I, I think that we're we're not seeing the the full Ravens edge room. I think there will be an acquisition between now and the trade deadline of the season. Um, yeah, maybe. I mean, they did just make the move we didn't talk about yet for DJ Fluker today for interior of the O line. Um, didn't make the edge move in the draft, uh, so maybe they do go ahead and add a guy. Maybe they're comfortable with they, what they have. But yeah, I think with some of the guys out there, it's definitely possible. I think Griffin might have priced himself out of their market. And the fact that they already made that move for Fluker uh, indicates that they're just going to kind of make that one move and stand pat. But uh, yeah, I think of all the options, Griffin will probably be the guy. Clowney's obviously way too expensive. Uh, so yeah, we'll see what happens. All right. Moving on. Ryan P underscore VT. 
why did it seem that Hollywood always fell down at the end of his routes last season? <laughs> That's a sick was, question. I like that. Yeah, because he was protecting himself, it seemed like. Um, he was gimpy on that foot and had to miss a couple games, had a couple nicks and cuts and bruises and bumps and all that stuff. So I think he was just really trying to protect himself. This offseason, he's able to put on some weight and be really healthy. So I think we're going to see him go for the gold a little bit more after the catch. And seeing as how effective he was at finding space, and then like you said, Ryan PVT, uh, that he was you know falling down at the end, we're going to end up seeing him turn up to another level, I believe. I think this is going to be a huge, huge, huge year for Hollywood if he's healthy. So I'm excited to see what he can do. I also think that he's like super fast, that it can pop, probably be tough to control at times, especially when you're playing on an injured foot. Uh, like you said, he wants to protect himself. He did do a lot of um, going down to the ground at Oklahoma as well. I remember noticing before uh, he had even suited up for the Ravens. So uh, maybe it's just part of his game. I'm not really sure. But when you're that compact and low to the ground and just fast as shit, maybe potential to fall down happens from time to time. But yeah, I think with uh, all the footwork that he's doing, um, or the footwork work, I should say, that he's doing, a little tongue twister there for you. The, I mean, you've obviously been all over that. The... Uh, foot doctor or whatever guy that he hangs around with maybe that's something that he's emphasizing this offseason is learn how to stay up and complete the play yeah i definitely think he just kind of sees you know can i hit a home run or am i just going to take the single um instead of push it for a double and and i so i mean his foot got hurt originally because the big 12 championship it was at 2018 he got shit pumped by i think brandon jones uh the texas safety and that's how his foot got messed up. He was, you know, running out of bounds and, and tried to run all the way out of bounds, get a couple extra yards, gets freaking popped. And that's when he hurt his foot and he couldn't come back in, ends up missing the playoff game there, which is obviously a huge loss. So, and I mean, I think it's, it's just kind of like a combination of him being small and then that foot injury really trying to protect it. And uh, like Jake said, maybe, you know, not having his feet under him as best as he could have. But yeah, it was a thing at Oklahoma too. I think he's just a tiny, tiny dude and knows I got to get down. There's, no, you know, those two yards aren't worth me taking a Brandon Cooks sized hit. I was literally just thinking that, like, if you look at Brandon Cooks, who just like absolutely sells out every single time he has the ball in his hands to try and make a huge play and just gets his shit rocked over and over again. Maybe that's not the way you want to have your guy operating, but uh, who knows? Right. Moving on, we got C Caldwell 45. Besides Matthew Judon, which player will have the most have? have the most sacks this year uh for me i think i'm gonna go i guess i'll just go calais i'll just go stock straightforward straightforward uh, i think that calais is gonna be on the field a lot they're gonna rely on him i think he's gonna get a lot of one-on-one looks because of brandon williams and, and judon and some of these other guys maybe more so than he has in previous years uh i wanted to say bowser but i feel like they're just not gonna give bowser the damn snaps so he'll probably rush the passer like maybe 300 times and maybe get six or seven snaps, whereas Calais might end up rushing the passer 500 times and being in that eight to 10 sack range. For me, it's Calais or Wolf, but keep an eye out sneaky for two of the inside linebackers that they drafted because I feel like they're going to be doing a lot of stuff with the new guys that they've got on the D-line opening up lanes for them to go ahead and blitz. I think you get a sneaky good amount of sacks out of Patrick Queen this year. I think Mosley had a good amount when he was a rookie as well. Um Shout out to mom. Um, and yeah, I just think that they're going to get sneaky opportunities to get after the quarterback and Queens athletic enough that he's going to be bringing them down a time or two. So uh, keep an eye for those guys as well. Yeah. We'll put the over under on Malik Harrison and Patrick Queen sacks combined. We'll go, we'll go seven and a half for the over under for them. 
Um, I could definitely see one of them ending up being a looper that's used a little bit more maybe and uh, getting, you know, four or five sacks in that range. But I mean, Patrick Owasso had a good bit of sacks in 2018. And I think Mosley in his rookie year also had like four or five sacks. So hopefully those guys can do the same. Little spoiler for the uh, YouTube page, putting together some Madden videos uh, in which I use a custom roster with them. And like, I don't know who created the roster that I'm using, but Queen is incredible in those looper plays. TFL is all over the place. Yeah, is he fast? Oh, he's fast. What is it? What is his speed? I don't know exactly. I forgot to check that part because you know how they, it shows like the primary attributes, and then for whatever reason, speed is a secondary attribute. So I don't mm-hmm. remember it off the top of my head. But mm, okay, plays yeah. fast. Speed, 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 blitz, 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 all that good stuff. Nico Cantalupo, oh. walking over here. Realistically, what will the Ravens' backfield look like going into the season? Four running backs or three? Uh, For me, my bold prediction, I guess, or maybe not so bold, is that one of these backs suffers a quote-unquote, you know, little little injury, little IR action. Uh, Something uh, one of the backs falls off the back of the truck. Yeah, gets beat up in the middle of the night somewhere in Baltimore. Uh, You got to beat me up, make me look good. Otherwise, my boss, you know, will uh, get mad at me. Yeah, exactly. So I think, uh, you know, maybe there's a little IR situation, but I mean, Gus and Hill both contribute on special teams. Um, I'll, I'll ask JK to go play special teams. I don't give a crap. So I'm not, you know, I'm not scared to carry four backs necessarily in this offense and, you know, see a guy go down in the middle of a big game. What got another one there? I mean, sometimes two backs can go down, so we'll see. But I, I would think that maybe there's a little nick and a cut and a bruise and an IR that comes back midseason between one of those guys. Maybe Hill. Maybe Hill is my prediction for that. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening, especially since Hill uh, does feel like a little bit of a future guy and is maybe a little bit redundant by Dobbins. Um, so I could see that. I kind of feel like right now that they do take four backs. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Uh, I haven't totally looked at how the roster crunch is going to work out. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting situation. Now we got our boy Glizzy GMD with an existential question that is quite concerning. Do you think that we will have a season with fans this year? Hashtag concerned PSL holder. I don't know, man. I don't know. My initial gut reaction is no, or they're going to find a way to do it in a different way than you're used to seeing. Uh, I also do think that in the interest of having fans that they could maybe delay the start of the regular season a little bit, maybe a month or two. Uh, and then maybe you could do that sort of roll in a different, you know, fan experience. Uh, yeah. So initial reaction is no, but like we also don't know anything positive or negative and you know that they're planning furiously to make the season happen regardless. So, yeah, I think we might see training camp definitely altered. A little bit, but um, I don't know. We'll, I think a lot of states are trying to reopen at some point during the summer, and maybe they get a little handle on this. But I think there's going to be uh, definitely a different version of this experience in some way, whether it be minor, mild, or major. Uh, I guess mild, moderate, or major this upcoming season. I like Jake said. I don't, I don't see them making it past October without starting football. Uh, would be interesting. I, th- I think there was a rumor about having no bye weeks as well and having the season start later and a bunch of stuff. So it's going to be a really weird year. It's almost a lockout year potentially, uh, which is ironic because the CBA immediately, in the blink of an eye, ended up happening. 
and being resolved very quickly when there was a lot of rumors of a potential lockout and you know players up in arms and stuff. But now we essentially have the same situation. So interesting offseason. Uh, Ravens, you know, made some big additions, but relatively pretty much the same roster for the most part. Uh, with some shuffling around in the front seven. And I think guys like Campbell and Wolf will be good to go for the most part. So uh, hopefully it benefits the Ravens, if anything. But moving on, Raven for life, baby. Hell yeah. Uh, how's the starting offensive line going to look next year? What do you think? Who do you think will be the five starters if you had to guess right now? Right now, had to guess. I'd go left to right. Ronnie Stanley, obviously. Let's go Bozeman left guard. Skura center health withstanding and then Macari center. If not, I'm going to go Bredesen right guard. I think he is going to surprise some people. And then obviously Orlando Brown tackle. Interesting. Bredesen at right guard would make sense. Yeah. Skura is definitely the wild card in there. I'm going to go Stanley Bredesen left guard Bozeman or Skura, depending on Skura's health powers and then OBJ. I think that's my my odds on favorite for me personally right. You got you got to think Odell Beckham is going to get smoked as a right tackle. So and they also haven't even acquired him so I don't know what you're talking about. We shall see. We'll see. I think he could hold up as a right tackle. He's he's definitely got the little attitude for it. He's I was going to say if you just if every pass rusher on the opposing team you somehow hypnotized him into thinking it was a kicking net. You got to think he he's walking away from it's like it's like uh, without allowing a set. water it's like the water boy. Remind me, Adam Sandler. I know the movie. I just forget which scene. He just he just sees like the offensive players as like people that bullied him or different things, and it'll be yeah like, yeah oh, okay. Gatorade H two O. I haven't seen like, that. Please, man, water's fine. I love water. I haven't seen that movie since like at least 2004. I need to How, check you, that you out. You definitely have to watch it if it's been that long. Yeah. Uh, moving on, B Rose nine three one asks us a bevy of questions. He starts off: Does Bronson Recksteiner make the team? Uh, I'm gonna go with no. I think maybe a practice squad guy. I see the the highlight tape circulating. Uh, with you know him getting a couple of long touchdowns and making a couple big blocks, uh, but I would encourage people to go watch his whole tape. And he did have, he had a way better year in 2018. He's got some explosive you know breakaway speed a little bit. Had a, a lot of those some of those long runs though. He just got like a quick dive and the gap was wide open. And he's got a little bit of speed and he had some impressive games and stuff. But I think with Pat Ricard and uh, some of these other guys, I don't, I don't think he's pushing onto the roster. I'm going to go no as well. I think what you hope for is that he has a really big preseason that you can somehow parlay into a late round pick via trade uh, with another team. Should they be looking for that H back type of player? Um, Or maybe you could trade him to Quentin Tarantino for the naming rights to the villain of the next Inglorious Bastards movie. We'll see. The sequel B Rose 931 again, chances the Ravens take a flyer on Everson Griffin. Um, I think like I, I, I don't think they're going to pick up Griffin. I think they pick up someone else. I feel like Griffin is a little pricey, a little old, um, and doesn't quite exactly fit. I mean, I'm sure the Ravens would love to have him, but doesn't quite fit the hand in the like the hand in the dirt profile. The the base end profile is not exactly what the Ravens love. So I'm not sure if they're going to be willing to you know want to pay the pretty penny for the older player that doesn't quite exactly fit um so i don't i think out of those three categories none of them are necessarily there but i think you know if if the price is right and he wants to come to baltimore and is cheap they definitely wouldn't shoot him down 
Yeah, I would say sure in that scenario, but I don't think it's something you want to bend over backwards to make happen, especially if training camp is going to be abbreviated, off-season program is going to be abbreviated. You need a guy who knows how to play in a system similar to Wink Martindale's and uh, doesn't really seem like the Vikings system was, so maybe pass for that reason. Sure, and then moving on again, the the three-part, the, the three-pronger, the final prong, do John Daka, which is the JMU kid, and then Chauncey Rivers, who I believe was also on Last Chance U. Am I mistaken? I think um, Tyree, no, Tyree Phillips, Phillips was. Both? Tyree Phillips was. Zadarius Smith also in season one. People forget that. I did not know that. He makes a quick cameo. I think he they, they might have recorded it in 2016, so it was maybe the year he got to the Ravens, or 2015, so it was the year that he got to the Ravens. But I do remember him being in it briefly. He, like, hugs... Um, What's the lady's name? She was on Glenn Clark today, actually. I forget her name, but yeah. Chauncey Rivers was on Last Chance U. Okay. So both of them, yeah, the Mississippi boys. Um, Chauncey Rivers, but anyway, his question, Chauncey Rivers or John Daka have any potential to you guys? Yeah, of course they have potential. I've seen a couple of JMU games. Uh, Daka and Rondale Carter were the two of the best players in all of FCS last year. They were a fearsome duo for JMU, took them deep into the playoffs. I think they ended up losing to North Dakota State, if I'm not mistaken, in the championship. But DACA had like 20 or more tackles for loss, like 13 sacks or something. Uh, very explosive, lean, long, uh, you know, flashy edge player. And then Rivers, I've I've seen it just a little bit of because when I was watching Willie Gay, I didn't really focus on him a ton. I need to get back into him a little bit more. Um, I'm sure he has potential to answer your question, but I don't have a ton of info on him at this point in time. I'll get some at some point because there's nothing else to do. Yeah, full disclosure, I really haven't checked either of these guys out yet. I know you were pretty high on DACA and his potential to maybe sneak onto the roster. I do think that it seems like there's a good amount of these draft picks that are going to or at least be in very strong consideration to make the team going all the way up to Geno Stone in the seventh round. So maybe that hurts their chances a little bit. But uh, ultimately, yeah, I mean, how far back does the streak go of an undrafted guy making the team? I mean, that's you got to think it plays in. Exactly. And that's why guys love to sign in Baltimore. I don't think any of these guys will get cut uh, draft pick wise. The Ravens typically don't do that. I mean, even Zach Sealer out of Ferris State, you know, he has never been spectacular, maybe, you know, stout a little bit, but uh, I think that the Ravens said they had a deep board. I think, you know, they considered Geno Stone a draftable player. I don't think he's a project. Um, I don't think Prochet is like a project either. So I think that those guys end up all making the team. Uh, and a separate note, but then we've got Matty P63. Our boy. Our boy. Will Tyler Huntley challenge Trace Unitas for the third string job? Yes. I think so too. Yes. I think Huntley might even be a little better, you know, Trace Unitas version of Trace Unitas uh, has a little better deep ball, but then, I mean, the magic that Trace showed off in preseason was undeniable. So if Trace turns it on like that again, it's going to be a tall task. If he comes in and just dominates preseason games again, you're like, all right, that's fine. He might actually be a legitimate NFL guy, but if Huntley comes in and it's just consistent, can, do a little more. I mean, in early in training camp, Trace was very unimpressive. Uh, I think it's um. So I think it kind of comes down to like Huntley. The physical stuff is pretty awesome. He's a little thin, I think, but other yes. than that, like fast dude, strong arm. 
show some good playmaking ability. I think Trace is maybe a little more limited physically, but you could just tell that the mental side of the game really came around to him, uh, especially like getting into training camp and into some of those later games. He just really impressed from that perspective. And uh, it did feel like his accuracy was pretty on point in certain times. So uh, Huntley's probably going to have to match him in those perspectives, but I think he has definitely the talent to challenge to make the roster. Right. And so Huntley's pro day, pro days, we always grimace and laugh and make fun. The things you can concretely take away from a pro day are the jumps because those are measured, not timed. Um, so that's, that's not something that's really up for grabs. Huntley had a 43 inch vertical and a 10 foot eight broad jump. Uh, those are explosive, explosive numbers. You see that he had a really good three cone, all that stuff. I mean, pro days, like we said, take the, the times with a grain of salt and whatever, but the jumps are set in stone and he blew those away. So definitely the athletic ability there. I mean, let's see, he's an athletic kid. So let's see, maybe he, I think he is definitely more athletic than trace and might have some positional versatility a lot more. Whereas trace actually is like a quarterback that's kind of mobile whereas Huntley is like a super mobile quarterback. So maybe there's a little a little room for him to do some different things. We'll see what that ends up doing. I'm sure he'll do anything to make the team and all that good stuff. Uh, but moving on, we got M. Dern. I'm thinking Geno Stone having a good camp could turn into the end of CoCap in Baltimore. Thoughts? I don't know if I necessarily agree with that because Levine brings so much as far as, again, going back to the mental side. Uh, even more so than a player like McSorley in the preseason. I think Levine is very important to what they do on special teams during the regular season. Uh, been around for a while, very reliable dude, can play multiple positions on defense as opposed to just safety, so I think versatility helps him in that sense. Uh, but I do think Stone maybe hangs around and has a chance to learn from Levine. Uh, maybe got to bulk up a little bit if he wants to like take on that exact role that he does ultimately, but for right now, I don't necessarily see him just replacing him outright for 2020. Yeah, I think Kokap is in it to win it. The Ravens love him. They are they offered him back. They're not going to go. I don't think they're going to go cut him uh, unless there's a huge, like, significant drop off. And I don't see that happening. Anthony Levine is a gym rat. Always been a hard worker. Always why he made the team, and that's why he's Kokap, no cap. Is but, he one of the? He's got to be one of the last remaining players from the last Super Bowl, right? Yeah, it's him, him and Jimmy, Tucker, right, and Jimmy, and uh, Morgan Cox and Cox. Sam Cook. Yeah, the uh, the wolf pack. I I guess you the wolf pack. I yeah, package the them pack. as one thing, but Yonda is gone now. Um, Flacco, right. obviously, there a lot of those guys are gone, and he's one of the remaining few. I think your right. dog agrees. Yeah, he's he's definitely barking his little head off back there. Uh, but yeah, Geno Stone. Thing about him, you know, like like we touched on, more of a free safety than that box safety. So I don't know. We'll see. But I definitely think Geno Stone makes a team. Uh, moving on, another question. UDFA fullback Rex Steiner could be the next juice question mark. Getting get a lot of a lot of questions on this guy. I don't I don't Dude. know, guys. Like I don't know if he's gonna make the team. Like he is he's definitely a polarizing figure uh because of his dad and his uncle and just like his highlight tape is ridiculous. But uh so Kennesaw State is a pretty damn good FCS school. They've been super competitive. Uh, I think like the last four years or so made the postseason and, and done decently well. They run a, a wing T or a single wing offense. They do not throw the ball at all. So that's, I don't that's know. like pretty much any offense that has like a super back type player like that. Right. It, they just don't throw the ball at all. Like my college shout out to Salisbury University. They ran that exact offense and they had like a awesome 
super back type player. And they're very cool, but I just don't know how often it's going to translate to a uh, fullbackless NFL. And he got lucky to come to a team that does value a fullback, but they already have one of the best ones. So, Right. And then pr- comparing him to Juszczyk, so he went to Harvard and it was actually like a true H. He split out into the slot, was a tight end, caught a lot of passes at Harvard. Uh, very versatile, very complete player. He ends up, I mean, he was drafted relatively high. And I just struggle seeing, you know, it, it's good. We're not going to know until we get to camp and if there's camp, whatever it is, and see him in some pass catching drills and against NFL competition. So I think that while he's an exciting, polarizing, you know, personality figure for now, uh, we'll, we'll get the hard facts in camp. So hopefully, that'll give us a yeah, hopefully, hopefully we get plenty of preseason games and that's not abbreviated. So you can watch plenty of them. And uh, yeah, like like we He'll said, he'll get earlier, his run in preseason for sure. Uh, yeah, and like we said earlier, hopefully that turns him into a trade chip or something, or you know he can increase his profile because he does sound like a very interesting, cool player. And I, I'd love for him to have a future in the league. I just don't really see it with the Ravens as of right now. So let's think about the fullbacks the Ravens have had or those type players. So Ricard is a def- <laughs> obviously interesting because he's a defensive converted player who did not play <laughs> offense in college. He's three hundred pounds and is a Pro Bowl fullback. Then we have Kyle Juszczyk, graduated from fucking Harvard and has a smoking hot wife that went to Towson and like very interesting player, goes when like very good on the Ravens, fan favorite. Now he plays for the Niners, ends up in a Super Bowl. Then remember Ricky Ortiz, who didn't make the team, I don't think, but had like an avocado empire farm. It's just the island of misfit toys. Exactly. The Ravens fullback position. Like it's pretty exactly. sick. It really is. And now we have Bronson Reichsteiner, who is like literally going to end up in the WWE by the time he's 28, probably. Just play the Hugo Stiglitz theme for him whenever he gets onto the field. Hugo Stiglitz. Uh, But yeah, so we'll see what he can do in the pass catching game. If he wants to be similar to Kyle Juszczyk, got to be a weapon in the passing game. Uh, Then moving on, Z Blackston, favorite mid to late rounder that'll push early for playing time. Who you got, Jake? Mid to late rounder that will push for playing time. I guess it depends on where we classify mid because, like I said, I think Bredesen has a good chance as a fourth rounder. But going beyond that, uh, I really like what I've seen from Prochet. I think separation is maybe going to be tough for him. Athleticism, not all the way there, but just very competitive. And let's say a receiver or two go down. I think he is going to be his nose is going to have been in the playbook long enough and he's going to have the drive and competitiveness that John Harbaugh really likes uh and he's way more of a dog than any late round receiver I've seen the Ravens probably ever draft at least from what I've seen so far right and they also traded up to get him right and they were they were done with the draft by that point they traded back into the draft right exactly uh or no that was no I think they I think they traded 225 I don't know. I don't know. It was some weird trade, but I think yeah, they were they were. I think they had. It was supposed to be their. Or wait a minute, maybe they still had that. They one. had they had two twenty five, and I think they traded next year's fifth, which was the something they acquired from another team, and two twenty five to get one ninety nine, and two nineteen, which was Geno Stone, while giving up two twenty five in a fifth round next year, something like that. I believe so they, uh, yeah, but anyway, they traded up to get him. Um, they Raven said they had 185 draftable players on their board 
And for all we know, Prochet was like 130, 120. Maybe he was like the 13th receiver. Like Jake said, has he is not dog adjacent. He is a dog, tracks the ball so well, fights for the ball, fights for everything. Um, Four-star recruit out of high school, went to SMU, not a huge program, but fought, played early, uh, produced, contributed on special teams, team captain, all that good stuff. So I think, you know, taking all that stuff, I haven't gotten too deep into his game yet. I know you and Matt have a little bit more. Uh, but considering those factors feels like he definitely could fit a role. And, and you mentioned the separation thing and luckily in the Ravens offense, they kind of scheme guys open a lot. Uh, it's, it's pretty simple with the passing with the route concepts and route combinations and things. So uh, maybe that's not the end all be all if he's not the best separator, but feels like he's going to be awesome underneath him and Duvernay both. And uh, there was a little theme there with the Texas hands team that they got with him and Duvernay. So I like that one too. Uh, moving on, we got ZJ Batman, early predictions on offensive line starters. We already hit you with those. I think Jake had Stanley, uh, Bozeman, then Macari or Skura, then Bredesen. I'd say Skura then- before Macari, but health with withsta- health notwithstanding Macari after that. Then right. I did Bredesen, then OBJ, and uh, I did find the theme for Bronson Rex Steiner. Now entering the game for the Ravens, fullback slash whatever, Bronson Recksteiner. <laughs> Real big fans of your work when it comes to uh, killing the Steelers. Yeah, he'll destroy the Steelers for sure. So, probably Marcello. not. Marcelo, Kyle Juszczyk had a big game against the Steelers. Yeah, he sure did. He maybe had a little bit too good of a game. Yeah, scored too early, son of a biscuit. Uh, But moving on, we got Marcelo or Marcello, I'm sorry, Nanez. When are new Ravens jerseys coming? That's a good I question. I saw new, this one. New uniforms next year. Unless you mean unless you mean the rookie class this year, I would say in the next month you'll be able to order those. Because I know you like can't get a Patrick Queen 48 jersey yet. I think the team has to like formally sign off on the jersey numbers first. If you're asking about like kits, uh, I think probably next year if I had to guess. I think so too. I think every I don't know if there was like some kind of league mandate, but it seems like a couple of teams recently changed and now the entire league is just following that trend and as much as I'm fine with the Ravens uniform, some people seem to think they're a little dated. I still kind of like them, but uh, yeah, maybe I'm ready for a change. I just don't want them to go into like the weird, like futurist route. Like I feel like the Falcons took. I agree. I like the classic enough with like one slight modification and then just like embracing like the colors. A it's lot like, and so, the- so I liked what the Rams did recently. I like, I really love what the chargers did this off season. Uh, Cause it feels like there is some modernism to it, but they've also embraced the past versions that fans seem to really like the fan favorites. So maybe try and uh, keep the fans in mind in that sense. Don't try to just, Oh, we're moving into a new decade. Now we're going to be looking like we're in 2050. It's like, no dude, we're just, it's 2020. We know what we like. Go with what we like, please. I currently love the white Ravens jerseys. I think those are really clean. The current ones and the black ones, the purple, the the shade of purple that they have right now is a little sus to me. It's weird, but you do have to differentiate yourself from the Vikings. Uh, so I kind of get it. Um, I feel like it used to be more bluish purple back in the day. Yeah. I think uh, my favorite uniform combo is the black jersey with the white pants. I really yes. like that look. It's strong. Or the 
flip of that white with black pants either one yeah, are yeah. the most fire white Those with black are- pants nostalgia because that was the most recent super bowl uh, right form definitely so then the final one from instagram again marcello marcelo nanez uh best pick beside in your opinion besides queen uh for me it's gonna be between bredesen and malik harrison i think i'd have to say malik harrison that feels a little stock though um hmm. i'd also say duvernay i think uh he just has enough versatility, like I've been hammering on, that he is going to make some plays as early as this season as a third rounder. So I, I like him a lot. And uh, people were starting to get a little angsty before they had picked him that they needed to go and grab a wide receiver, and that's exactly what they did. So I like that. And then Harbaugh's reaction, like, made you <laughs> Yeah, think, I mean, that's like, part of what, like, gets me so pumped up. It's like, it makes me feel like they not only, like, is he just jacked up about it, but that he has a plan for how they want to use him. And that the Ravens were like, all right, this kid's like seventh on our receiver board. We freaking love him, and we don't need to draft Denzel Mims right now. Like something like that. Like yeah, that, yeah. The hardball thing was like, yeah, we got him. He fell this far. Like I don't know. I've, I made it, it made it feel like a sinister plan of sorts that came to fruition. So that was it for the Instagram bag. And then let me navigate here to the Twitter mailbag. I've got one and up right now if you want it. Boom, go for it. Uh, from Trapped with Crazies at Boiler Trainer. Same. I'm looking at one right now. Uh, first mailbag question ever. If Dobbins hits Elliott or Cook-level production, does it change the naysayer's opinion of a second-round pick being too high? I'll start. Uh, I don't think so because these people have convinced themselves that running backs are completely devalued and spending anything like earlier than a fifth-round pick on them is a waste. Uh, so I just think that it's a case where you're trying to change someone's mind who are so fundamentally set in their beliefs. It's like trying to change someone's mind on religion at this point. Like you're just not going to do it. They just believe that running backs are devalued so much that spending a second round pick on them is a waste and they're just never going to believe the opposite. As far as analysts, yes, that all of that, as far as Ravens fans who are like a little bit more biased towards the team and, and doing some combination of, analysis and being a fan or whatever like in that gray area uh, basically the t- basically hashtag ravens twitter and the people that oppose dobbins yes they're absolutely going to melt away and love jk dobbins if he runs for 1200 yards and 12 touchdowns in 2021 and and starts being a playmaker they're they'll be over it and especially uh if he is part of a freaking super bowl team so if he is part of a team that wins a ring it was the right pick and all of the picks were correct all of the decisions were correct do I think running backs are devalued? Yes. Would I have preferred a wide receiver there? Maybe. It's a second round pick. I don't think, you know, would I prefer a wide receiver? Maybe, but I feel like the bust rate on a wide receiver in the second round is way, way higher than a running back in the second round, particularly in this offense. So big the time way, facts. The way I rationalize it is like they got a second round pick who is probably going to be a starter for them very soon and be a very good starter. And uh, probably make a couple Pro Bowls. And in this offense, that's very important. So, uh, yeah, I just rationalize it as, you know what? They got a great player. Yes, it's at a devalued position. Both those things can be true. Um, Was it a perfect pick? I don't know. Maybe not. But he's going to be a really good player for them. So, I don't know. Other than value, I mean, that means it's a good pick to me. So, So let's think about Ravens running backs that have been, like, lead backs. We got Ingram. Ravens didn't draft him in the first round, but he was a first-round pick. Heisman winner, blah, 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 blah. So, he was a first-round pick. Uh, Justin Forsett had one really good year. He was 
undrafted, I want to say. Yeah, he was. Or no, he yeah. might have been a six-round pick by the Jags back in the day, maybe. Or maybe Jags the or Seahawks or something of the sort. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think he, whatever, he was either a really, he really bounced pick around, though. Yeah. or UDFA. Then we've got, before that, Ray Rice, second-round pick. Um, that was the last time the Ravens used, I think, a day one or two pick on a back was Ray Rice. Second. Second-round pick. Yes, so I don't I don't think they've drafted a running back before the fourth round since Ray Rice. No, I think. Um, yeah, was there I one? think. No, I Dixon, think Dixon was a fourth. Dixon was a fourth. Buck Allen, I think, was a fifth. Hill yeah. was a fourth. Talaferro was a fourth. Talaferro was a fourth, I believe. Fourth or a fifth. So I think since Ray Rice, we might be wrong. There might be one we're forgetting somewhere. I'm pretty sure we're good there, though. Um, Ray Rice then. I mean, Willis McGahee. Bernard Pierce was a second rounder, I think. Yeah, yeah. He was second or third. You're right. So maybe two. Then Willis McGahee, the Ravens did not draft, was a first round pick, end of the first, I think. I think he had that bad. He had that horrific knee injury. um, But I believe, but they didn't spend that pick. So the Ravens have not. I mean, Jamal Lewis was a first was a first round pick. They actually traded for him. Ended up being in the in twenty years ago. Yeah, that was very much acceptable at the time. Also won a Super Bowl immediately after doing that. He was probably the engine behind their offense, helping them win a Super Bowl. Chased Priest Holmes out of Baltimore, who ended up setting the record for touchdowns in a season. Um, so the Ravens haven't really gone crazy. So them spending a like a, a late second round pick is not the end of the world. It's not like this like thing of where the Ravens are always making bad decisions and, and drafting the wrong positions and blah, 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 blah. So I'm fine with it. Like Jake said, would I prefer to receiver? Maybe like Brian Edwards even. Uh, I think Van Jefferson might have been on the board. Either one right before or right after. Um, those guys I love. So maybe we'll see. But I think, you know, in the end, if Dobbins is a good pass catcher that can catch 30, 40 passes or even, you know, 20 plus and be strong there and then and just a freight train for the Ravens, and yeah, I think Ravens fans will quickly forget about positional value and all that stuff. And it wasn't like they spent a top 10 pick on him. He's going to be a cheap running back that's going to be a workhorse. He's not going to have a big contract cap hit, uh, cap hit. So we'll see. But go ahead on the rest of the Twitter. In your opinion, does the defensive scheme change now to have more inside linebackers on the field and possibly more D-line as opposed to edge, or will scheme change week to week and we have a ton of flexibility? Definitely the latter, more so. There's a lot of flexibility. That's a good question. Uh, Very good question. Very well thought out and a a two-parter. I think that there's more flexibility for sure with the linebackers and how versatile those two linebackers are. Malik Harrison, a guy that can engage with blockers really well queen a guy that can cover maybe take some slot reps a little bit he did that a little bit at lsu i think he had like 45 snaps in the slot um he actually had like eight free safety not a ton but a little bit and you know yeah they definitely will be more versatile and then i think the ravens are going to try to use some more even front looks as far as the first part of the question how does offensive scheme change um i think they're going to try and and get some penetration a little bit up front and then see if those linebackers can go run and clean up if the penetration doesn't get there. Um, with Campbell and with, I mean, Wolf and Judon, you know, if Brandon Williams is on the field and Clayus Campbell's on the field, that's going to be at least three or four blockers occupied. Um, so I think that we'll see some more even front looks, some more defensive linemen, a little bit less 
necessity for edge. I mean, Ward is in that tweener category. Ferguson could take some defensive line type snaps. So yeah, I think both of those things are applicable. That was from Connor Kellerstrass moving on to Joaquin Van Gratz. Uh, what is the plan at center veteran free agent or Tyree Phillips slash Ben Bredesen? Uh, I don't really see any of those options happening for center. I think they're set with uh, Skura and Makari duking it out. And then even Bozeman, you can throw it. Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the, yeah, definitely one of those three guys. They'll be fine. I mean, Makari was admirable. Um, I'm, I just don't, I don't understand why Bozeman was never a center, but was a guard. Yeah, that's really kind of weird. They, they sort of do that a lot. Like Alex Lewis was like, I think he was a tackle at Wisconsin and then they started him at guard as a rookie and he moved around. He was a tackle for a little bit. So they kind of like to mess around with the line a little bit. Uh, but maybe it's just a, wherever we need you, are you willing to do that? If they say yes, then great. Uh, and they have the right mentality. So, uh, yeah, hopefully something like that continues to happen because it's worked out pretty well for them so far. Yeah. Like my logical part of my brain wants to say that Bozeman would be a good center and a consistent center. And I mean, he was snap. for Alabama, right? Yeah, he definitely. He, I think he was a either a three or a four year starter for Alabama. Um, and if if you can play guard, you're like he was not a great guard by any means, but he was effective. And if you can play guard, then athletically you should be fine to play center. Athletically, center, yeah, you do need to have the mental side of the game completely like mastered to be able to do be a center. I believe, right? Yeah, and I, I feel like Bozeman's ready for that. I feel it seems like he's super hard worker, super smart. Um, I don't know. It, it's just weird because. Center is pull and combo as like the second guy and then work up field even more than guards do. So their job is like harder in the mental aspect, but easier in the physical aspect at times. Um, so you know, I, I just find it interesting that he was never, uh, cons- especially because Skura was like far more effective his, I guess, rookie year at guard than he was at center in his second season. So it's, it's, it's just whatever five guys they end up coming out with. I don't freaking know what it'll be, but... Uh, yeah, I think I think Bozeman's a good option. I think the guy who asked the first question, Connor Kellerstrass, actually said, I think Bozeman will be a viable option at center, especially yeah, if Kerr isn't healthy. healthy. Um, so yeah, I definitely agree there. Moving on, looks like the last Twitter question that I'm seeing at least comes from Wizard Hendricks uh, at HaHa Klitz and Dick, which is sick. Uh, <laughs> is it worth taking defensive tackles in the first round if they can't rush the passer? That's very astute analysis there, HaHa Klitz and Dick. Great thought-provoking question. I think you sound like a very smart guy. Yeah, so I think there might – so he ended up – I said, is there a player in mind? He said Leonard Williams, for example. Um, and to me, that's a that's a trick tricky question or a tricky player i should say because williams is maybe like the one of the best pass rushers you can get from a pressure standpoint he's had 50 or more pressures in four out of his five seasons in the nfl he just never has had extreme sack numbers had like a 20 quarterback hit season too uh so i think that's that's tough but if it's a guy i mean dexter lawrence was a guy that was looked at that last year but he ended up being third, I believe, in pressures among rookies. So it's it's tough. But if it's a guy that's not going to be an option on third and long, then hell no, I'm not drafting him in the first round. Um, I thought he was going to say Derek Brown, and that was going to get me triggered, like SpongeBob, like Ugh, triggered, because I think Brown will be a 30-plus pressure guy this year for sure. But if you're, if you're drafting them thinking, I don't want this guy on the field on third down, that's not a first round pick to me. First round pick, especially in the front seven, 
is a guy that I want on the field for three downs early in his career. Otherwise, I don't have a first round grade on them. And then why am I drafting them in the first round? Yeah, I think uh, it definitely it's all ties into the analytics conversation still. Uh, and people believing run stuffing to be devalued, which to a degree it certainly is. You do want guys that can rush the passer a lot more, but if you are sort of that just completely dominant force that is at least getting pressure, then I think it's worth it. Um, but yeah, as as you mentioned, I can't really think of a ton of guys that are just pure run stuffers and don't really get pressure at all that have gone in the first round a ton recently, especially not the top of the first round. So Like Vatia Vey, it was top five in, in pressures, from any interior defensive lineman as like a true nose tackle. And he was a first round pick that was like kind of pegged to be like a run stuffer. And why did they take him? But he ended up being one of the most effective interior pass rushers in the NFL. Was that so, how Deron Payne was too coming out of Bama? Um, yes, I think so. And I can't, I don't recall Payne's pressure numbers at all at the top of my I head. Thought, so cause I thought he was more of a rush or a uh, run stuffer and they drafted him and Darius guys one and two and it was funny because Chris Cooley had predicted that they, or he said, I think an ideal draft for them would be to get Deron Payne and Darius guys. So shout out to Chris Cooley for always being in the mix somehow. We'll never get rid of him. But yeah, he predicted that correctly. And he said that it was because Payne would help them get stronger against the run and guys would help them get stronger in the run game on the offense. So the two least like popular thing, like PFF, someone at PFF just like shit their pants from that. Oh, man. Um, yeah, so Deron Payne only had five, excuse me, three sacks in college over playing about 35 games. That's horrible, horrible, horrible. I don't have his pressure numbers in front of me, and I don't have a ton of groundbreaking analysis on him. But from what I understand, he's, you know, like a favorite player for the Redskins and whatever. Um, so maybe he's a good example there. I don't know if he's been effective against the pass or not, but. No, I don't want to, especially in the top of the first round. You know, see, that's the thing. The Ravens didn't pick in the top of the first round, and they didn't pick in the top of the second round. So getting a guy like Queen, who figures to be a three-down immediate contributor with potential, is such a steal. And then Dobbins is – it's like like DeAndre Swift went at the top of the second round, which is where you can easily get first-round value still, and then Dobbins at the end. So it's like not quite like the Ravens just – like, oh my God, they drafted a linebacker in the first round, running back in the second. Like it was it was one top fifty pick and you know, twenty-eight with the first round pick. So it's not like they wasted a top ten pick on uh freaking running. Like they didn't do the Saquon Barkley thing or anything or Leonard Fournette or any of that. So Yeah, think- and they're in those positions in the draft because they were very good last year. And part of the reason they were very good last year is because they spent last offseason acquiring players at valuable positions. So I mean it's kind of just Boom. balanced team building. It's not like if you like we've been harping on if you just completely overfocus on doing one thing you can get one dimensional real quick so as much as they did make some uh picks at devalue positions they're going to be good players i believe and uh yeah we've, we can keep relitigating it but i mean that's just they'll the be cheap it. too they'll all be cheap it's right you know low first round low second round running back what's dobbins six million over the course of his contract maybe eight something like that yeah and so, it's like yeah you don't have to go out and pay like a Quan alexander however much money he got to play inside linebacker you get patrick queen you don't have to go and pay like a running back like you're not the uh titans with derrick henry on the franchise tag you've got a cheap guy for the next four years like yeah exactly so while the draft capital definitely is capital it wasn't like they invested a ton it's not some you know freaking it's not swinging for the fences it's more conservative actually so yeah they needed the meat and potatoes draft they got it 
But that sums up the mailbag. We didn't actually get into DJ Fluker throughout the mailbag. So, yeah, the Ravens brought in a guy who started like 90 games. I think it's like 90. I think he's played in 87. Former first-round pick out of Alabama to the San Diego Superchargers. Has since been with the Giants and the Seahawks, I believe. Yeah, so he has a ton of experience. Uh, Played right tackle his first two years. He actually had Joe D'Alessandra in San Diego. San Diego. Uh, with him at right tackle. And that's where he seemed to be like promising. And then he kicked inside uh, that third year. And I think was a little down and then had a really bad fourth year. Ended up having one of the worst seasons of any, I mean, him and Eric Flowers, both I think were on that team on the Giants in 20. That was a very bad offensive line. Which shows bad coaching, bad decision-making, everything. So that might be a little bit of an outlier. But the Giants did like him. So Jim Nagy just tweeted, a primary reason the Seahawks signed DJ Fluker was to toughen up the OL room. So this is back when the Seahawks signed him, obviously. O-line coach Mike Solari had Fluker with the Giants and had lobbied the Seahawks to sign him because of the passion and mentality. Two years later, mission accomplished. So it sounds like he is a very well-respected guy. Uh, You don't necessarily often see... um, a coach of a team that you you leave lobby for you to sign somewhere else uh, or lobby to that team to sign you. So I think that's a, a very good sign from a mentality perspective for a respected veteran. Right. And it's just over addressing, overcompensating for the loss of Marshall Yonda. And I don't say overcompensating is a bad thing. I say it is a 100% positive thing. Make sure that you have warm bodies that are, you know, remotely capable that you have multiple of them, one injury, even two injuries is not going to decimate you. You have an MVP quarterback on a rookie contract. You have what is going to be a disappointment of a defense if they finish anything outside of the top five in most major you know, measurables, especially points per game um, and like efficiency stuff. So don't let the offensive line derail you. If a guy or two goes down, don't set yourself up. So suddenly now they have, I mean, Andre Smith, and Tyree Phillips and DJ Fluker who have some tackle experience in one way or another at the college level or in the NFL level. And then you've got Bredesen, Powers, Skura, Makari, Bozeman, like all these guys fighting for those three spots. They're going to be deep on the offensive line while they might not have the talent that they're used to or the leadership necessarily. Um, Fluker can bring a little bit of that leadership. You can bring a little of the talent with Phillips and with Bredesen. And, you know, some, a little bit of experience between Skura and Bozeman and now Powers, uh, a little mix of all of those things. So, you know, they've they've got older guys, experienced guys, guys in their prime, younger guys, and then brand new guys. And we've talked about that. We talked about it with Vaz. You want a veteran, a proven veteran leader. Uh, you want a guy in their prime and you want a guy who's on the up and come or a rookie. And they've got all those things at all the positions across the offensive line. And it's awesome. In 2017, their last year under Flacco, the offense or their last full year under Flacco, the offense was at best streaky, at worst, just downright inept. Since then, they've drafted, I think, at least one offensive lineman per year. They've drafted they drafted two wide receivers last year. They drafted two wide receivers this year, not quite as high, but still players that see, people seem to believe strongly about. Uh, and it just feels like there is more investment in the spots that needed to be addressed uh, as we move further away from that Flacco era and more into the Lamar era. It feels like there is very good investment. And uh, this is a continuation of that. You know, they just drafted two O-linemen. A veteran guard becomes available who a lot of people really respect. They go and pick him up. They're just going to keep throwing 
uh, you know, darts at the wall to try and solve problems. And uh, whether he is even a part of this team or not, who knows? Uh, like you mentioned in the Slack chat earlier, some inconsistencies throughout his career. Uh, but he's a guy who I think is going to at least come in and compete. And that's really all you can ask for. Nobody's going to replace Marshall Yonda outright. Uh, but you just keep throwing, you know, darts at the wall and trying to fix the uh, the problem there. Eventually, it's going to get fixed in some form. So uh, I like this move a lot. Right. And when you look at Fluker, the way you put it there, like he was a really high draft pick who never quite reach his potential or, or how he was viewed maybe as he was coming out. But for you to talk about how the, you know, he had a historically bad year on the giants and then have a coach be like, no, we need this guy. He's, he's a tone setter. He's a hard worker still shows the kind of person he is. And, and you want that to be in your offensive line room. And I mean, he, he seems relatively durable, never missed any substantial amount of time. I think he might've had a six game season, one season. So maybe had a season-ending injury there or something. But long story short, you know, seems like he has outstanding work ethic. He was drafted high, made a lot of money, doesn't care, loves the sport. So going to bring a good attitude, going to bring a hardworking mentality, even if he's not the most talented guy. Um, and, I mean, he played. He played for the Seahawks. They're a playoff team, you know, two years in a row, was on that offensive line. So you can definitely do a lot worse having guys like that in the rotation. Then he also mentioned like that. that Seahawks fans hated him. Uh, he's on that Seahawks offensive line that uh, another offensive line that just gets routinely killed by people for not being strong enough protecting Russell Wilson. I believe Tom Cable is still their offensive line coach. Is that correct? I think so. People on NFL Twitter hate Tom Cable with a passion. His offensive lines always suck. There, and yeah, maybe some stuff in his personal life too. Not necessarily the most kosher. So. It just Tom Cable just gets it over and over on Twitter. There should be a sitcom called Everybody Hates Tom starring Tom Cable. Right. And it's, it feels like Seahawks fans, you know, respected maybe Fluker's like tenacity at times and his work ethic and things like that. But he, you know, th- th- he just gets lumped into a problem of why Russell Wilson can't get protected and they wish they had like an elite level guy there. But yeah, so Fluker brings leadership. He brings experience. He brings hardworking mentality. Tom, Cab- Tom Cable with the Raiders since 2018. My, my mistake there. He was with the Seahawks, though, no? Yeah, he was for a while, 2011 to 2017. Okay. So, so he, he was there in the... He overlap um, with Fluker then. He, yeah, I don't think so, but he um, he was a part of that whole offense. What was that coordinator's name that didn't throw it? Uh, Raiders coordinator. The Seahawks that didn't throw it on the goal line with Lynch. Oh, not Brian Schottenheimer. No, um, that was, it was after him. Or before no, him. Before him. Uh, I can't think of it. You're gonna have to look it up. Looking it up. What is that guy's name? It's gonna kill me. I can't think of it either. Offensive coordinator. Daryl Bevel. Daryl Bevel, yeah. Or Bevel, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, thank yes. you, thank you. My brother chiming in with uh, Bevel, just there as soon go. as we both uh, figured it out. Boom. Yeah. So that was not good. Not great. Not great, Bob. Not great. But yeah, so Fluker comes in. I would expect some other, you know, modest free agent additions, maybe even a mild one. From what I believe, Marcus Peters is about to free up a lot of cap space. Um, Let me get over the cap up. I think he can have his entire salary converted into a bonus if they want to. And that allows them to space his cap hit out over the next couple of years in some way. They can convert some of it or all of it. I think it's like $7.6 million, something of the sort. Um, 
while you pull that up, Mohamed Sardarudin, do you think we will use more wide, three wide receiver sets on first and second down? I think that's a good question. Uh, I think it's probably likely with the loss of Hurst, you're probably a little more handcuffed as far as the multiple tight end sets. I also think they want Lamar passing the ball a little bit more, and they want Miles Boykin to continue to do continue to develop, as we've been saying. So yeah, I think three wide receiver sets on first and second, uh, definitely uh, more possible for 2020. The Ravens like to run the power pistol stuff with heavy set, and then they like to go five wide. And the five wide can be two tight ends and a running back and two receivers, so it's still heavy personnel. But I definitely think that Lamar is ready to take on some more responsibility and wants to from what he said with the line calls and audibles and all that good stuff. So I believe that they'll throw the ball a little tiny bit more and it'll be a little bit on Lamar. So if... Marcus Peters, is, as we were saying before, if Marcus Peters restructures, his cap hit goes from $15 million to $7 million. So it's about eight, just over $8 million that they can, in some way, up, up to that restructure. So if they want to go get somebody they that is modest, I mean, they definitely have a little bit of room. I think they have about $10 million. If they want to get somebody that's cap. modest, Marcus Peters is definitely not going to be fitting that billing. So I, I see what you're saying there. Yeah, so I think that Marcus Peters would gladly take a lump sum up front, and the Ravens have a little bit of room. Um, over the cap has the Ravens at nineteen million dollars in cap space. That's not right. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. Jim. Eleven, eleven million, and I don't think that factors the rookies in yet. Ben Rose, I think Tom Cable works for the Raiders now. Yeah, we just hit on that since okay. twenty eighteen. Got it. Uh, but yeah, so I think that. The Ravens have a little bit of ability to move around, maybe acquire someone, and DJ Floker was a good move. Yeah, I agree. Like you said, not going to knock it out of the park necessarily, um, but yeah, I mean, it's just low risk, maybe a decent reward, so we'll see what happens. A chimes in with a uh, whoa with two H's right there with you, man. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It was a long weekend. Uh, uh, we got a very interesting one from a bot. I'm Linda. I like loyal men. Same. Okay. Same. We're we're, loyal, we're big on loyalty here, Linda. I was going to say, you've come to the right place. You have come to the right place. And then a lit 52 with currently four backs. We look to trade Hiller Gus. Yeah, I think the Ravens would be ecstatic to trade either one of them for a fourth round pick if they could get it. Maybe I think Edwards pick. preferably. Probably. he might. He's probably the four of four, which sucks because he's had some awesome you know, clutch moments and uh, really big moments. The touchdown against New England, the long run against the Texans. While that was fun, it was at the end of the game. Um, a couple other big runs here and there and, and a lot of good stuff as a, as a rookie with Lamar before Ingram got there. He really came out of nowhere and was so super exciting. Uh, he like led football and yards per game, rushing yards per game over the course of, uh, his rookie season. All time, all time nickname too. I mean, the Gus bus. Right. Exactly. Just so many memes with like pictures of buses that, that I've been getting off. Uh, ben Rose, does the Humphrey extension free up any cap space? They're not really extending him. They're just kind of picking up an option. So they're making it known that they will be paying that salary out for that year in the fifth year. Uh, so I don't believe it does. Maybe I'm wrong on that. Um, I don't know exactly how it works, but if you go to on, over the cap and hit extension, Marlon Humphrey saves $1,453,000. F- I'm not sure if that's by picking up the option or if they I gave him an actual extension, but let's see in 2021. I don't know if they've updated. It looks like they have not updated 
Humphrey to be on the roster yet. So TBD on that, but I'm sure uh, they can do something and create a little bit more money next year. But next year is looking good, man. I mean, they've got uh, Thomas with a $16 million cap hit that they can save $8 million on if they want. Campbell, 15. Williams, 14. Uh, and some of that can be recouped. And then Peters with 13. Other than that, no one else, even at $9 million. A lot of really cheap guys. And Ingram, they can recoup about 50% of his contract next year. So they're in a good place. Obviously, Stanley's going to eat up you know, some 20, 30 million of that. And Humphrey the same. But they're in a good place. I'm excited to see what they can do. Uh, it always feels like they're gonna they're getting ready to go get some cap space and be able to do big things in free agency, but that's just not the way they work. They prefer to acquire guys and, and bring in their guys ahead of the the market and uh, re-sign them and extend them and do things like that and not make a huge, huge splash in free agency necessarily. So we'll see what they do, but I'm excited to watch that go down. Yeah, Mohammed again chimes in. We can still get edge help with someone like Clay Matthews or Pharrell McPhee. Uh, McPhee spelled with an F there, which I think is pretty sick. Agreed. Absolutely. They could. Uh, A chimes in. Wouldn't be surprised if we want that cap space just in case a vet we like gets cut. That's usually where we do our work, i.e. guys like Seth Roberts or Jeremy Macklin. Uh, yep. Agreed, but I don't know if they're also in the position necessarily where they just need to go out and get a guy. It's not like in, I believe it was 2017 when they got Macklin where they desperately did need a wide receiver. And uh, he happened to come available for them, which was kind of lucky because it was literally like two weeks before the season started. Uh, I just don't know if they're totally thin in a position where they need that. But uh, yeah, potentially. There, yeah, there could definitely be someone that just is an odd man out and wants to come to a winning team that has a shot at going far in the playoffs, and that would be the Ravens. Agreed. So yeah, I think that about does it for us. We didn't even quite digress, so maybe a little bit ahead of the eight ball, but um, I had a big workout today, and I am starving, so I'm ready to cut it. I went for a nice walk. It Fini- was a good walk. my book. Weather. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's a good day. Good walking weather. It was a little chilly, but like nice sweatshirt weather. Not sunny, which is kind of nice sometimes. Yeah. I, you know, I kind of need it to be sunny tomorrow. I'm, get, I'm getting there. Let's, it's a little bit of sun. Want to go out and cut the grass it is almost a little bit. May. It is almost May. It's, it's like almost, it's almost May 1st. So shout out to one of the commenters, my brother, uh, who is now chiming in with Gus Never Lost Yardage. Uh, tend to agree with you there. Don't recall a play. Big facts. Big facts, Mike. Big facts. Well, you know. Buses have trouble backing up sometimes, so uh, yeah, definitely in that sense, but uh, happy birthday to you, buddy. That's coming up on Friday, I believe, uh, so going to have a nice little weekend here. Hell yeah, happy birthday, Mike. Anything else we want to throw out before we get rolling? Uh, no, congrats, uh, or it's for AB. Yeah, I just like I think he's being sarcastic there because he did the SpongeBob font thing. Yeah, he does. There are people that are still like unironically making that, that you know, trying to make that happen. I, mean, I think it's like after- all Ravens fans that are like too young to remember the Ray Rice saga at this point. I was just thinking about that because like that was six years ago at this point. It's possible that a lot of these kids that are like 18 and 19 now don't fully remember the scope of that situation and how much it pissed off Bashadi. Uh, I just, I can never see a player like that coming here. Yeah, no, Bashadi will not sign his check. He will not be paying Antonio Brown. But if he were to, that'd be sick. Uh, yeah, it'd be great content, you know? <laughs> we're in the content game, so. God, that would be a nightmare. I don't feel like writing about any of that. No, I, neither do I. I just don't want it to happen either. If I could just, like, fast forward to watching Lamar Jackson throw to Antonio and Hollywood Brown, it'd be sick. So 
it's like uh, Robert Little was saying, Antonio Brown on meds away. So you got to confirm that he's on some sort of stabilizing agent before you bring him in. Like Kanye, like Kanye. But then you get like an album that's good, not great. So you'd get like 800 yards out of Antonio Yeah, so Brown. it's like he, Follow God is like the one week 16 game where he just blows up against like the Bengals or something. Exactly. A comments, haha, I'm 16. I didn't know who Ray Rice was till two years ago. So there you go. It's fun fact at Towson. Shout out Lil Dickies, the bar in Towson. I don't even know if it's still there, but there's a purple Ray, purple rum runner called Ray Rice. And I made the mistake of asking the owner of the bar, who was also a bartender, uh, why is it called Ray Rice? And he was really drunk, I think. And he looked right into my eyes and he was like, because it'll knock you the fuck out. And I was like, Okay, I'll have one of those, please. That's great advertising for Little Dickies. I'm sure they're appreciating us airing them out on that. Uh, are you watching Dave, by the way? Did, did we already have this discussion? I haven't started yet. Heard heard good things. Yeah, I think you'd like it. It's good. Definitely. I saw someone tweeted, like, who would have thought that Little Dickie and Will Smith would have a very similar career trajectory? Started out as lighthearted rappers, uh, end up having a show that mirrors their real life, something like that. Yeah, people kind of coming after him a little bit for trying to rip off Childish Gambino's thing with Atlanta. Uh, I don't know if he was ever quite the rapper that Childish Gambino was, and I think this is probably more Curb than it is Atlanta, but there is some Atlanta to it. Um, it's on the same network. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I mean, so they're probably not going to allow any sort of super aggressive similarities in that sense. But uh, Mohammed comments, I really appreciate for the fresh content every week. We appreciate you tuning in, my G. Absolutely. Uh, we'll be back at some point later this week and maybe the Ravens will be gracious enough to give us another little tiny piece of news at some point, another signing, a trade, uh, anything of the sort. So we shall see. Yep. We'll be back to break down Antonio Brown to the Ravens, uh, on Friday. Uh, but yeah, hopefully not. Um, should I we get so. out of here? I bet Let's you get out of here. Okay. Well, really appreciate you guys listening. As we just mentioned, uh, if you like the show, uh, you're obviously watching on YouTube right now, or maybe you're listening to the podcast, but if you are on YouTube, Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple, uh, whatever bootleg stuff you got on those Microsoft machines. I don't know, uh, but subscribe to it there. Leave us a five-star rating and a review telling us what you like about it. Subscribe to the YouTube channel as well, where you can get these episodes uh, live streamed to the page. Uh, some more content coming to that soon, hopefully with Madden, like I mentioned. I think we could maybe get some stuff going with you as well, doing some film breakdown type stuff. I think that would be pretty fun. So uh, stay tuned. We're, we're, like I said, kind of heading into a content suck here where we just need to start uh, planning some stuff outside the box. So we're going to be doing all of that. Follow the show on social media. You can follow the show's Twitter account at Podcast Beatdown. Getting close to that 1,000 follower mark. I'm at like 940 now. Get him there. Let's get me there. Uh, you can follow me personally at Jake Luke. That's L-O-U-Q-U-E. You can follow Spencer at Ravens Four Dummies. That's the number four in the middle. Follow at Be More Beatdown for uh, a lot of the tracking that's going on with some of the undrafted free agents. Maybe that initial wave has died down, but you never know if they're going to be making any additions or subtractions. There's some notable ones, man. I mean, there's some notable free agents out there, so we'll see. Yeah, definitely. So keep an eye out for some of those guys. I mean, we spent like four questions on an undrafted fullback today, so. Uh, you know, anything can happen. Um, yeah. And with that, really appreciate you guys listening and we will talk to you later. See ya. All right. Thanks a lot. Appreciate you guys. See you later. All right. God bless.